Why Nickens? Bernard pulls the trigger. And this is a brand. Nickens is a brand. Allen Houston. Nickens is being lowered. Once a neck, always a neck. Thank you guys for joining us on another episode of Nickish, an episode that marks the start of the 2020s. Speaking of 2020, looking back at the previous decade, it's been pretty clear that our New York Knickerbockers have put out an abomination of a product out on the court. From the likes of Andrea Bargnani and Chris Smith, to fan favorites like Steve Novak and Pablo Prigioni, the only consistent thing has been the undying love the fans have shown for a team that seems to ghost them at every opportunity. We want to start off by saying we love and appreciate all of you that make being Knicks fans so enjoyable year in and year out. May this new year bring with it a bountiful glass of success that overfloweth with the passion and desire its loyal following seeps with at the veins. May the likes of King Barrett and Sir Robinson flourish before our very eyes to fulfill the all-star potential oft spoken about. May Sir Steve of the House of Mills find himself trapped and sentenced to a never-ending nightmare of Quincy AC and Lou Amundsen highlights. May Lord James Dolan find himself a charitable soul and donate the organization to the Salvation Army, bestowing <laughs> peace and tranquility between both fans and the LOL Knicks media alike. But most importantly, may, be, may we all be injected with the serum to survive and thrive, look and cook, and win and grin our way through a new decade of Knicks success. Here's to all you Knicks fans who stay loyal through thick and thin. You deserve nothing but the best. Here, here. I'll cheer to that, bro. That was beautiful. That was amazing. Thank you guys. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> We've been through a lot as Knicks fans. We just ended the decade. We, we, we had we had great moments and then we had mostly shitty moments. Um what was what was one of, what was one of your favorite shitty moments or one of your least favorite shitty moments, Teddy? Least favorite shitty moments. Okay. I will say signing uh signing a stat was one of the least shitty moments because even though we struck out like on every max free agent in 2010 um like every actual true superstar at least we got one guy because like it would have been really embarrassing if we didn't get anyone and we cleared Mm -hmm. up space for like two years so i think that was one least uh one of the least shitty things and i remember his first like half season first year was amazing like he was actually playing like mvp level and i remember like going to school telling all my friends like yo stat like he was the real deal i'm so glad we got him and that was a fun team like that was a really fun team to watch and that was actually the first knicks team that was actually good in my lifetime so that was one cool moment yeah for me i have to say um just you know following those seasons going into the 2012 2013 season obviously um coming into it actually with very low expectations knowing that we lost a lot of our players signed a bunch of old guys didn't think it would be a cohesive team at all you have the likes of like Jason Kidd starting. You got um, Mello and Stat that didn't look like they could work together at the same time, and we were coming off of a season where we don't we no longer have Jeremy Lin. I just felt that the team was not going to go in the right place, and yet I was somehow surprised with being the first seed for the majority of the season, dropping down to the second seed, and just overall, you know, starting. I'm going to say we started this trend of three uh, and D basketball, and. Um, since then, we've seen a lot of teams emulate that really well, and we have not been able to, but that was a huge uh, bright spot for me being a Knicks fan, just seeing how we can cobble together a team of geezers and really put out a good product out there. 
and obviously that was around the same time as Prime Mellow, of course. And um, it was just overall good times coming into the season with nothing and getting a lot, especially with the you know the creation of the the big three down in Miami. Um, seeing our team just be able to play against them pretty well throughout the season. Obviously, we lost to them in the playoffs, but um, it was just great all around. Yeah, I, I think I think my favorite thing in the last decade was watching Carmelo Anthony. I think his biggest strength actually is and ends up being his his fatal flaw that he holds the ball and plays a lot of ISO ball. But oh man, it was awesome watching him get to go to work. Fourth quarter, so many games. Give give Melo the ball and get the fuck out of the way. And Melo delivered time and time again. And we saw it. We saw it last week when Portland came to New York and he was he was getting buckets and it was it was so, it was so nice to see him do that him do that at MSG again after countless number of times we saw him just you know carry the team on his shoulders and I think I think that was the biggest treat that I got out of this last decade uh, is just watching Carmel Anthony go to work. Yeah, speaking of Melo, which which year was it? I can't remember the year where we were playing the Bulls and he made those back-to-back threes, the first one to send us into overtime and the second one to help us win in overtime. That, um, was, that, was, a, that was March 2012. Yeah, that... I mean, and I, I know exactly where I was when that happened. I was not watching the game. <laughs> I heard about <laughs> oh, it. Uh, I was sitting in my couch, on my couch and my mom was watching me go insane... Uh, for the first and and as a fan, when I'm watching the games, I'm pretty like stone faced. I'm just I'm enjoying it internally or not enjoying it internally, whatever. But that was one of the first games where I just like jumped out of my seat, watching Melo just walk up to the three point line, pull up from three, you know, mash his head with his three fingers, come back down the court, the team plays some defense, take it into overtime. In overtime, he hits another huge three to win us the game over a solid defender, I think, in Lou Aldang. It was just a great game that really solidified my uh, love for the team. This was like, as you guys know, I've only started being a fan of the Knicks around 2009, 2010. That's when I started watching basketball. And um, a couple of years in, I realized how to- like, how intoxicating the Knicks environment was. And I just loved being a fan from day one. Yeah. And interestingly, the, the second half of the decade, with the exclusion of the 14-15 season, which was a franchise worst season when they only won 17 games, that was a horrible half of the decade with a number of losing seasons. But weirdly enough, that was supposed to be the rebuilding part. So why do you guys think that that that, that half of the decade when we were technically rebuilding, those seasons were just not that good at all, even though it's been five, six years at this point almost? Hmm. I could take this. So, I mean, I wouldn't say we've been fully rebuilding for the past six years. I would say... Um, you know, in the Phil years, we were supposedly trying to compete, and that all started off with resigning Melo to that max contract and giving him a no trade clause. Um, it started with, you know, mm-hmm. making poor decisions on certain players and free agency as well, and it just we didn't have much leverage at all with the players we did have. But at the same time, we saw a lot of turmoil in the front office. We saw uh, a lack of development in the young players. Um, we consistently while we should have been rebuilding consistently we're middling and so ended up drafting in the in the teens and so while we got players like Iman Shumpert and Tim Hardaway Jr. and stuff like that none of them were enough to take us over the hump and I think you can actually consider the rebuild the past two years or so um, this is how we've we've started rebuilding properly where we're actually allowing the team to play the young guys 
you know, struggle with them, um, get a high draft pick, get players that are going to ultimately help this team start winning some games. Obviously, we've taken in the draft in the past couple of years, we've had uh, Frank Nilekina, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, um, obviously RJ Barrett last year. And so those are all guys who are contributing to this team right now. Um, albeit at different levels, but two of those guys, of course, are playing at a really great level right now and show a lot of promise moving forward. And the other two show a lot of promise as great role players moving forward. And so I think that's where the rebuild has started. I think people around the league have noticed that the team has overall, whether we've put out a good product in the court or not, the organization has overall been improved. There's, You find a lot less drama out there. The Knicks media is always going to try to find something, but there hasn't been anything to cling on to the past couple of years. And so I'd say it, it was we've been rebuilding for two years now. I say give it two more years and we should have a good product out on the court. Yeah, completely agree with that. Um, damn, those were rough years when we were just not sure if we were rebuilding or we were building a playoff team. It's just like every year we were supposed to build something that was going to take us to the eighth seed and it just flopped. Oof. <laughs> yeah i mean I, this year i expected us to be somewhere in the 10th place range we might still end there but that'll be progress and we won 17 games last year i'm hoping this year we win like it would be great if we won 25 games that'll show mm-hmm. a lot of progress and then hopefully the next year we win 32 33 and then that'll just and, and i don't think any of that is unrealistic by the way so i think if we play our cards right um, we've been able to shift this team around to now having a lot of positive players in our starting lineup. Guys who, like we're seeing right now, um, before the trade deadline are garnering a lot of um, trade speculation, like Marcus Morris and Julius Randle. We're making deals that make sense, that are tradable, as opposed to signing guys for a lot of money on player-friendly deals as opposed to team-friendly deals, and we're unable to trade them away just because we want them to come to New York. Um, we're showing that we have like a t- somewhat of a solid organization. Obviously, things could be better. Um, general managers could be better. President of basketball operation could be better. Um, as we saw earlier in this year, the coach could be better. And so we're making those des- decisions, at least, and making those changes. And there are a lot of less dumb decisions happening. So I think overall, the team looks up and up. We're going to be looking good the next few years. It's just about writing this out, making sure that we don't listen to the media and try to make a dumb trade for Andre Drummond like everybody's talking about. Yeah. You know, I, I hear the speculation was Drummond plus one player for uh, Frank Nilekina and Julius Randle, and that would be, a, honestly, the worst trade possible. Not only is Drummond expiring this summer, um, but you have Randle finally playing at an all-star caliber and Frank uh, playing a little bit better, too, as a great role player. There's absolutely no point in trading for Drummond when both of those guys that we have are on team-friendly deals and we just have no incentive to trade them. So for me... I know we've discussed this a million times, but, um, you know, with this trade deadline, just make the team a little bit better or prioritize the, the you know, the development of the young guys, and then the team will be will have a great outlook moving forward. Yeah, I think, I think right now we can consider as kind of like an inflection point, we're building in a way that's unprecedented to the Knicks organization. We're building through the draft. We're developing young players, our own players that we drafted, not ones that we traded for or signed, but... It's it's a it's a time period where fans and the organization alike aren't used to, and that's why on Twitter or everywhere there's there's there are lines where people are on, on opposite sides of, for example, Kevin Knox. Some people want to trade him, some people don't want to trade him. They're still shitting on the organization for not drafting Michael Porter Jr. over Kevin Knox. 
And then they're talking about guys like Julius Randle. They'll flip on a switch right away. They'll say that he's not that good of a player. We should not sign him, or he is a good player. I think, and whenever people start talking about this situation, I always go back to the way the 76ers were built in the last decade. They were the worst franchise, or they were the worst team for a number of years. They had the worst record, and they were just they were doing trust a process, right? And I five years ago, their roster included guys like Nick Stauskas, MCW, who was coming off a of rookie of the year, and injured Joel Embiid, who didn't play for his first two seasons in the NBA. And Jaleel mm-hmm. Okafor, and it's kind of like the situation that the Knicks are in right now. And what they did is they kept losing. They got high draft picks, and then eventually they got trades for for a superstar. But they're basically waiting for that superstar in six yeah. or seven drafts, and they got it through an All Star in Ben Simmons, and they got it through a superstar in Joel Embiid. They 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 got two of them right, the rest of them not right. Yeah. And I think yeah, I think remember that they, that's the direction yeah, they, that the Knicks are should be looking at. They whiffed on a lot of those top three guys, like you just said. Okafor, Noel, Fultz, mm-hmm. uh, MCW. Um, those are all guys that were picked really early in the draft, and they whiffed on all of them. But all you need is those one or two guys. And I think R.J. Barrett can be included as one of them for us. Obviously, he may not be the, the, the number one option in the future. Who knows? But he definitely looks like a great um, second or third option on this team moving forward and he hasn't even remotely come close to his potential so we don't even know um, but Mitchell Robinson looks like we yep. drafted him top five mm-hmm. um, and then we have like a few good role players around them which always helps like you need those kind of glue guys yeah um, so for me as long as they have the great mentality like they like it's very visible right now we don't really have a lot of clowns on this team yeah. um, Sands Bobby Portis and um, Alonzo Trier but those guys for me are not part of the future moving forward. So I think even adding in Randall there, who's 25, um, he's playing at an all-star level on offense, at least not on defense, but um, he's part of that future as well if we decide to keep him. So I think we have a good outlook. Like, there's a lot to be happy about. It just People just need to show patience. This upcoming draft, we have the next upcoming draft of that. We have seven picks over the next five years. And we could potentially get even more in trade deals this January. So I think the team has every option right now to start selecting players that can help the team. So all we've got to do is just wait it out. Yeah, right. And I will also say, I will add that um, I know the Kevin Knox, you know, rhetoric is that we, we really messed up with that pick. We should have drafted, you know, all the other good players that we should have had some foresight into, which is just stupid. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the, the idea, I think, is that we're not going to draft, you know, every guy we're going we're gonna to draft is not going to be some star. Like, you need solid role players on a team that are on, you know, team-friendly deals. So... When I look at Knox, I see a guy who has potential to be, like, a great spot-up, you know, three-point shooter in the league. And maybe he's not going to be, like, this all-star that we kind of expected or dreamed about. But, like, I think that's still a lot a lot of value right there for, you know, a, a kid who can probably, you know, spot-up, become a good shoot, three-point shooter in the league. So, I don't mm-hmm. know. And it's it's only his second year. Like, we're, we're really hard on him for no reason just because, you know, it's not his rookie year anymore. Right. So. Yeah. And the argument is, oh, look at the way he's playing. He's playing poor on defense. It's true. Shooting percentage January is actually, I think, 36, which is horrible. Yes. Oh Factually, on at his play is horrible right now. Kevin Knox is not a good basketball player right now, but 
He is younger, if not the same age, as all the rookies of this year's class, and he's already in his second NBA season. There, there are a number of lottery pick players who are two, maybe even three years older than him. He's 20 years old right now, so if he were if he were a rookie, I don't think he'd be getting the same kind of slack that he's getting. Not slack. He's not. He wouldn't be getting faulted as much as he is right now. It's right. not really yeah. fair. So right. that kind of stuff gets into the head of a 20 year old, and that affects his play. And I think. We as the fans and the media, we we're talking about it, but the fans and the media combined, uh, meticulously looking at every single movement he does, gets in his head, and that's affecting his play. He was playing so well the first month, and right. he's regressing every mm-hmm. single month. And I think that's just it's a it's a it's a it's all in the head, not in his actual play. But yeah, more we than enough time to there. improve, mm-hmm. right? And and to me, it's like looking at a player when they're struggling. I don't really mind at all a player struggling when they're younger because it's expected but what i'm looking for is do they have the right mentality are they struggling and then sulking and letting it get to them and then just continuing to be trash or are they constantly pushing themselves and they have the right mentality they're not saying the wrong things and it looks like that's what kevin's doing Mm -hmm. he immediately the second he started sucking like last month he immediately went to instagram and started posting about how he's going to work harder he's ever since then we've gotten like images and photos and videos of of him staying before the game and after the game to practice and work on his shot and work on his moves and so he's showing the effort and the mentality that that's needed to be good so for me at that point that's all you really need in a young player with good potential um the rest is on the team and the organization to develop him the right way uh you know obviously it's still up in the air whether we're the team organization to be able to do that properly but those are all the signs you want to see in a young struggling player. At least he's a good locker room personality. He's a good team member on the team. Everyone seems to like him. And he's not letting he's not he's at least not letting his poor play um get in the way of his team. If it was a guy like um if you if he really was if you really had all this like all-star backing around him and people had these really high hopes for him, he'd be chucking a lot more, he'd be holding the ball a lot more, but at least his deficiencies aren't getting in the way of the team. Right. And the the Nickish motto is a group of non-experts spreading knowledge to the masses, and that's what I think. That's what we, as a fan base, need to do in the twenties. We can't continuously see a struggling player in his twenties and call for a trade or call, you know, say trade Knox and get like a late first rounder. It doesn't it, that that stuff doesn't make sense. What's the point of trading for a late first rounder and then that player might or might not be as good as Knox? We need to, mm-hmm. as a fan base, we need to really be patient with young players if if Knox were 23 24 years old and he's been this is his fourth NBA season yes everything everything that you're saying that he he might want he might he should probably get traded that's valid but in his second NBA season as a 20 year old it makes no sense and we can't keep calling for trades anytime a player struggles there as, as a fan base we need to improve just as much as the organization that's 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 what I feel I think I think the 20s mm-hmm. hopefully as a fan base we become smarter overall and, and there are a lot of smart NBA Knicks fans, but there are a lot of not-so-smart ones, too. Gotcha. Yeah, shifting over to um, how the team overall has been playing right now. Over the past week, um, we saw them play five teams out West, um, those being a, a loss against the Suns, 120-112, to 112, a loss against the Clippers, 135-132, to 132, loss to the Lakers, 117-87, loss to the Jazz, 128-104, now a loss to the Pelicans, 123-111. I know that's a 5-L streak, but 
to me personally, those first two games against the Suns and the Clippers, um, they had a chance to win both games and ultimately weren't able to because um, for the first game, Devin Booker and Kelly Oubre got hot from three. And for the second game, Lou Williams got hot from three and destroyed us. We saw against the Pelicans, they got super hot from three and everybody was raining them down on us. Um, so for me, I'm seeing a lot of the same recurring issues of not being able to guard the three-point line. Granted, I think the rotations have been a little bit suckier in the past few games. We haven't mm-hmm. been playing Frank as much. We've been playing Peyton, and as we know, Frank is our best perimeter defender. Um, so I see those five L's, and while they're coming off of a hot streak of like two or three before that or whatever it is, but the, uh, to me, it, it's not as underwhelming because I expected us to lose those games. I just wish we could have grabbed at least two of those, which we had the potential to take, especially one against the Clippers that I did not expect at all before um, that West Coast trip. So I'm just wondering for you guys, do you think the uh, Mike Miller honeymoon uh, phase is over, or is it that just we played teams that are clearly better than us? Ooh. I mean, I think we've we've just been playing teams that are way better than us. We've been missing some guys in the rotation. I think it was just to be expected. Um all I'm really looking for Miller is just competency, like really, like can he just like you know coach and does he have some potential? Because we weren't seeing that with Fizz, we were just seeing you know horrible losses to teams mm-hmm. that we could beat, like teams that were our level of of ass. Um, so it's it's something that I think is gonna happen. We can't expect you know this team to just beat more talented teams on the road. Like it's just not gonna happen. Um. I don't know. I'm not. I don't have really high expectations for this team anymore. So, all I want to just see is the young guys developing, Miller being put in a position to you know test his rotation, see what works. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not mad. Yeah, I think a West Coast trip is always one of the most grueling parts of the schedule for any NBA team, and for one of the worst teams in the NBA, you can't expect many wins and five losses. You can't. I don't think there are many people who would have expected otherwise, especially when three of those five teams are against playoff-bound, uh, especially when they're playoff-bound teams, and then for two of those five games, our top two players weren't even playing. And the re- the rest of the team are young, you know, young That's players true. who were drafted true. the last two, three years. For, for Mike Miller, I think he did the best that he could. The rotations could have definitely been better, I, and the three-point defending could have been a lot better. I don't, I still don't, to this day, I still don't understand why they were going under when LeBron James had the ball um, mm-hmm. in that Lakers game and giving him the open three, and he kept knocking one down after another. He's LeBron. He's LeBron James. He's the second best yeah. player, you know, arguably the best. Why would you give him an open three? I, I understand his shot hasn't been that good, but he's still LeBron James. He still knows how to make three point shots. So, do, I, I do you guys do you guys to, know why why that would be a strategy? Yeah, I think that's actually ever since Miller's come, uh, and that's been the strategy for the team overall. They know that they're a little bit weak in interior defending mm-hmm. with guys like Gibson, who's a, an undersized center at this point, and Bobby Portis, who's also been starting. And then also, even before him, Julius Randle, who had been starting. Um, we're a little bit weak in terms of interior defense, so the strategy has been sag off on the screens, um, allow players to shoot over screens, but the the center, whoever the center is, that's the second player in the in the screen scenario. They're the ones who are supposed to jump out and... Um, try to prevent any threes from being shot but as we know with guys like Bobby Portis and Julius Randle they're not going to be able to do that Um, they just haven't shown that ability at all Um, when you see Mitch out there he is able to jump up and 
you know, protect the three-point line, but then players drive past him, and then there's nobody um, uh, blocking at the rim. So, And that's kind of where our issues are. It's just a personnel kind of thing. But the game plan looks like it is um, on any on any pick and rolls, dive under the screen so that you can at least protect the paint, pack the paint. Um, the guards sag off into the paint with the centers and with the power forward so that they can prevent any shots at the rim. But unfortunately, as a byproduct, that allows for either the open screening man to shoot a three or to drive and kick out to another three-point shooter and that's kind of why we've been so poor with three-point defense in general but it's only because our personnel only allow us to choose one or the other either you defend the paint or defend the three-point line and we've done really well defending the paint but as a result teams are shooting the three and obviously threes are worth more than twos and so we end up getting we, we end up going down due to another team going on a hot streak so we, we've only played well against the teams that can't shoot the three very well. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's just like once we get better perimeter defenders, they'll be able to just hold their own and will allow guys like Metro Robinson to pack the paint by himself. That's interesting. For for LeBron James, I I, I get what you're saying, but he he's a, this season he's shooting 35% from the three, which is very good. Mm-hmm. And particularly for this game in the morning we weren't sure if he was going to play because he was sick and I think he's dealing with some little bit of a groin injury that he was dealing with last season so I don't know I felt like for LeBron particularly the strategy should have been to get him to drive in because he's not feeling that well and 12 out of his 19 shots were three-point shots of which he made Mm -hmm. six so I I figured for this game they would make LeBron drive in try to drive in more but I guess interiorly they weren't that good. Yeah but LeBron feeling well is like the equivalent of me on like steroids plus with the power of 17 horses like that's him sick so there's like no matter what if you give him an open lane into the paint he's scoring on you so i think it's just like we were so like undermatched in that game and and then on top of that like it's like you're gonna live with a lebron three over letting lebron come down the paint and yam it on you and basically get the whole crowd going get the whole team going when you got guys um packing the paint like javale mcgee and um dwight dwight howard fair it's just like you just have to pack the paint, I guess, and allow three-point shots to be taken. But like we saw, KCP went off on us. Uh, we saw even Rondo getting in his groove. LeBron shooting threes. It's just it, sadly that's going to be a byproduct of this team, uh, of this team's play, uh, play calling moving down in the rest of the season. But um, hopefully next year we get some more perimeter defenders that we can use. Yes, that's very important. Rob Covington, a guy that I think we should start targeting. Um, yes. Be especially because the Timberwolves are reportedly infatuated with Dennis Smith Jr. So that's a <laughs> <laughs> you know that's a that's a guy that I have been standing for so long. I really would love him. He's he's such a good defender, three and D, solid three and D guy. I I don't know if I target Robert Covington. I think he's gonna be highly touted, and he'll he'll demand a pretty large contract for his age and for for where the team is at right now. I probably wouldn't go for him i i, I honestly don't know his age uh let me look it up right now but if he's, he's over look, he's no i would i wouldn't go for him i think i think a, a contender or a playoff bound team would offer him more money and i wouldn't want to overdo that well he's under contract until the year 2022 though so yeah he would be a really good option maybe in a morris trade or something yeah he's he's actually a very small uh contract as well he's only being paid about 12 million a, like a year until 2022 so even though he, his age doesn't quite line up, I think he's one of those solid veteran guys that you know this team would really benefit from. 
because 2021 is a big free agency pool, and I don't I don't want to like say Giannis type of aspirations, but we're we definitely should try to get some young guys, and we're, we we I wouldn't want to take up the cap with Robert Covington when he's 31, 32 years old, and give him 12 million dollars. Uh. To be fair, we have a couple players coming off of our. Um, you know our roster next year. Hopefully, if the team plays their cards right, we should be letting go of guys like Bobby Portis. Yeah, we have a team option on him. Um, I, I forget who else. Maybe Alfred Payton's on a one on one. So if we really needed um, any more money, that's an option too. I don't. I don't think Bullock is guaranteed after this year as well. I like um, him. I would. I do all, like yeah. him a lot. Yeah, and he has made he has made Ellington um, a little bit redundant. Yeah, expendable. So Ellington is another guy we can look to trade or let go this summer. So we'll have cap space moving into next year, which I, you know, like um, very few bright spots. But that was one of the bright spots of this summer. Um, the team did really well to hire, like to uh, trade for. Oh no, sorry, to sign guys that are on team friendly contracts, ones that are not going to hamper us moving forward, and ones that we could either trade at this deadline or let go in the summer if we really need to. All right, so I think we should take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about today's game and uh, possibly uh, what we hope for for the 2020s Knicks. So we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Miller Heavy. When you're hanging with the boys on a Saturday night watching a Knicks game, make sure to grab yourself a can of Miller Heavy. None of that light stuff. We here at Nickish F with Miller Heavy. With our new sweet, refreshing taste... You can forget about missing on that Bud Light, and you can crack open a can of that good stuff. This new formula comes with reduced fizz. (laughs) You can enjoy the game like the dog you are. Miller Heavy, enjoy responsibly. Welcome back, guys, to the Nickish Show. Um, We are going to just get into the the heat game that's happening a little bit later. Um, So... So far, I, I want to ask, Osamo, what is your sort of expectation for this Heat-Knicks game that's sort of happening? Um, and, of course, there's a little bit of a rivalry with the Heat and Nick, you know, a couple mm-hmm. decades ago. Does that exist anymore? Okay, good second question. I don't think it exists anymore to the point where I used to hate the Heat so much. Mm-hmm. Um, peak hate was actually in, during the Big Three Heat. I just, in general, I hate when superstars come together to create a team and then all of a sudden they act like they've played together all their careers and this is just a great team that they built from scratch i just hated that all together but surprisingly i really enjoy watching this year's heat team um they're a bunch of guys who play for each other move the ball around a lot um play really well you've got the resurgence of guys like tyler harrow um jimmy butler's looking like the the solid um veteran all-star that they've needed this entire time um, you guys, you got guys like Duncan Robinson coming out of nowhere and just being one of the best three point shooters mm-hmm. in the league. Obviously, Bam Adebayo is putting in a all like amazing all star performance. He is mm-hmm. becoming an all star this year for sure. Like the yeah, numbers I mean, are there. I would, I would kill to have him on this Knicks team. Um, somebody who's a legitimate two way player who's playing like an all star. And then you have, um, you know, just Justice Winslow was playing really well. Obviously, he's been played with injury recently, but he's been great. Kendrick Nunn has been great at the point guard position, so oh, they got him just out of the G League. So just much overall, talent. All around, so yeah, much talent. you're seeing all this talent, and none of it has come from a draft pick higher right. than I think, like eight or nine. So, um, 
to me, that's like kind of like a model of like how we want to build our team moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, their team just plays really well, plays together. Everybody's unselfish. They're going to move the ball a lot. And I think that's like a perfect uh, storm for the Knicks. I think we play really well against teams who ISO a lot because that gives us time to reset on defense. But against the Heat, like we saw in the last game, uh, we just get blown out by them. Um, they don't have the individual talent to just completely blow us out. But because they play like a team, because they drag up a lot of threes, because they play one of the best um, defenses in the league, we're just going to get destroyed by them this afternoon, I feel. Um, especially knowing that we're likely out of either Julius Randle or Marcus Morris. So um, I think us being you know, undermanned and then them playing so well and coming off of a, a loss to the Nets, um, they're going to be even more motivated to destroy us. So I think, um, I think my predictions for this one are we lose... 122 to 103. Mm. Mo, what about you? How do you feel about this game? Yeah, no, I agree with everything Osama just said. I think this is going to be a retribution game for the Heat uh, just because they can't, they're coming off a loss against the Nets where they were the team that ended the seven game losing streak for the Nets. So that's embarrassing. And we know, we know teams play best when they're playing at MSG, except for the Knicks. So the, <laughs> the Heat are going to, they're going to come in. Uh, Come in a blazing, and they're gonna they're gonna beat the Knicks. I would I was gonna say one twenty to one ten, um, and one ten if if both players uh, in Randall and, and Morris are playing, and probably you know a hundred if if only one is playing. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any stopping Jimmy Butler, um, and Bam Adebayo, especially if we don't have a four that can really guard him. Um, I don't know who's gonna guard Jimmy Butler. Maybe Reggie Bullock, but you know at, at this point. Yeah. Um, if there's one team yeah. in the whole league I'm like super super jealous of it's that one like they just play so well and I'm not even saying that about the Heat in general I'm talking about this year's Heat they just play so well I don't know like who it comes down to whether it's stroke of luck with all the players they've gotten so far or whether it's Spo or whether it's Riley or whatever it is but they actually play like the ideal team I would love for the Knicks to put out there so yeah, yeah. props to them I like you said Teddy I, I just don't I don't feel any hatred towards them anymore. Mm-hmm. Like those rivalries are gone. None of the players on either side still exist. So none of the coaches on either uh, side. You don't Haslam. You don't Haslam still exists. <laughs> Pat Pat Riley still exists. I was gonna say, other than Pat Riley, he's the only one that's existed. Um, Gordon Gecko looking ass. <laughs> um, so yeah. I will I will say as a follow up, um, I'm really jealous the way that our media gets on our young guys as opposed to the way sort of Bam's been up like developing naturally you know he hasn't mm-hmm. you know he was what like sort of a late lottery pick um and he didn't blow everyone away in his first year right but like he's gotten better every year since and like i hate the way that the new york media so just, just zones in on our young guys and just doesn't let them develop anymore like there's no such thing as developing in new york it's either you're good right off the bat and you can get better and if you suck mm-hmm. right off the bat you're just like oh god Kevin Knox, can we just get rid of yeah. him already? Mm-hmm. Send him to the G League. It sucks, but I feel like there are they, it, it's it's also balanced out by the positives of playing in New York. Like obviously, if you play well in New York, you're under a lot more spotlight than if you were playing anywhere else in in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in reverse, obviously, if you play poorly or if you even if you play mediocre or if you play as expected as a young player, you get hounded on. But I think it's on our development team 
um, on our coaches to make sure to instill in the players that the, the, the media do not at all resemble what the fans and what the organization feel about those players. So just ignore them the way everybody, literally, literally everybody else ignores them. Mm-hmm. So just like play your own game, do you, mm-hmm. um, because obviously there's a lot of benefits that come out of this, come out of playing in New York as well. So if you literally, if you make three threes in a game you're, and, and win us the game, you're knighted. So right. there's, it's just like, obviously it's, it's two extremes. Yeah. So if you're a player who doesn't want either one, it's going to be very hard for you to thrive here. But if you're a player who can at least take the, the good with the bad, then here's a place for you. Yeah, and I think I, that's my favorite thing about R.J. Barrett, and I mentioned this before. Mm-hmm. He he seems like he, the media doesn't get to him. He very very nonchalant about his attitude, but it's he's 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 all about the game. He's trying to just win, and we see in his free throw percentage, which has gone up a lot the last ten games. He's averaging seventy five percent or seventy four percent from the free throw line, which is night and day from the way it was from mm-hmm. earlier on in the season. So it's it's always good to see that from R.J. Barrett. He's not. He doesn't seem like he's he's affected too much from what other people say. Mm-hmm. And I just want to put this into perspective for sort of Knicks fans that are frustrated with Knox. Bam was 20 when he was drafted. So basically, Knox's age right now. And guess what he averaged in his first year for points? Just just take a guess. Um, 6.9. 6.9. I'm always oh, wow. cheated. He cheated. <laughs> but yeah, it's just 6.9. So like, when you see that... You gotta, you gotta like lower your expectations for sort of what a, a draft pick is gonna be. Like Bam was the 14th pick in the draft, pretty similar to sort of what Knox is right now. Like yeah. in terms of like his expectations, we really gotta, we really gotta keep them in check. But anyways, mm-hmm. I think we've talked uh, enough about the Heat. Um, let's transition sort of into the 2020. Right, it's a new decade. Um, Knicks fans, you know. We've got something to be excited for. We've got some young players. We've, we've seen some development in sort of the way that we're rebuilding. So I want to get, you know, go around the room and sort of get the perspectives of what you guys are really looking forward to seeing from the Knicks in 2020 and sort of the totally. next decade. Yeah, Yeah, I'll start. Um, I'm looking forward to us just continuing to build this team the right way. So, you know, um, whether that be getting a high draft pick um, this off season, whether that be making the smart decisions and trading away guys for picks or young players, um, I'm just looking forward to the combination of adding young guys and continuing to see our young guys develop and flourish. Um, the main three I'm looking at are uh, Mitch, RJ, and Frank. I'm looking forward to seeing those guys grow together. Um, it's actually perfect because you're looking at players at the one, three, and five, and all we need to do is like fill out the the, the roles in between them. So I think. With a good trio like that, moving forward, guys who play the game the right way, but also are great people, as you can tell in the media, um, I'm looking forward to watching them grow at the same time as um, watching the team put uh, a few pieces around them as well. Even if, as much as I hate to say it, even if um, this organization doesn't shift and we don't move away from guys like Steve Mills, I think at the bare minimum, what the team is showing at least is that we're going to at least do what's average and what's average is to at least like stock up on young decent players and add a few veterans here and there yeah for me for for this decade uh for the year 2020 i hope they can somehow manage to get 25 games under their belt and get a 10th seed but for this decade i what i hope for the most is consistency from top to bottom um from the organization standpoint for the team standpoint from the fan base standpoint 
I would not mind at all if we started adopting the trust the process theme and we all say it and anytime anyone says anything about a player we just say trust the process and that <laughs> that, it, that that'll help honestly imagine we had that 76ers team imagine we had Joel Embiid and then he was out for two seasons the New York media New York fan base would go oh crazy yeah. but we don't Do we have, have to that. pay any royalties to Sam Hinkie or no <laughs> and then and then every season the their their rookie would get injured for a year. That happened to Noel, that happened to Fultz, that happened to Zaire Smith, Simmons, Simmons and B twice. Like they they they've had a lot rougher than the Knicks had the last decade and I I hope that we we adopt something like trust the process and we start to believe in the organization, but also I would want the organization to not put out expectations that they can't meet up with, which is exactly what they did this season. They're telling us that that the players that they signed were exactly who they were, who they wanted to sign, and they had big aspirations for this team. And they ended up having to having to do a press conference where they had to go back on their word and kind of apologize. <laughs> oh, and that that that's I don't want any of that. I just want there to be consistency top to bottom, and we move in the right direction. But I also hope that one of the next five years or the next three to four years that we we draft the best player of that draft because that that hasn't happened since you know. I, I don't remember who else was drafted in Patrick Ewing's time, but um, I can't remember a time when we drafted the best player, and I, I hope we can do that. This year, it's, it's John Moran, um, and Oof. Chris Stas Porzingis this year. We were close. We got the second best player, but Cat is, is clearly clearly better than Porzingis, but I hope that we, we get that best player because that way that'll, that'll progress us in moving forward, and we'll still have RJ and Mitch, and that'll, that'll be like our Joel Embiid, or that'll be like our Ben Simmons. Um, well said. Well said. That's that's what I'm hoping for 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 the next five years, and I we we better be in the playoffs consistently in five years. Otherwise, we're not doing it right. <laughs> we'll need another decade if that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. No. Those are solid points from both of you. Um, I'll give my quick take, and then uh, we'll wrap things up. But I will say for this decade, I really, really want to see an emphasis on just you know letting the young guys do you know do what they can because we've always just seen this commitment to sort of the veterans and then the young guys you know we'll, we'll, we'll draft one or two we'll we'll sort of hide them on the bench give them a couple of minutes and then they just don't you know they just don't get a chance to show what they got so i really want to see us you know just invest in our young guys keep drafting um stockpile as many assets as we can get and then you know the veterans come second um just like we just talked about with the Heat, you sort of add, you know, a star when there's a good foundation. And right now, the Knicks are still building that foundation. So I don't want to see us just skip a step and get a star. You know, you trade everybody we have for Carl Anthony Towns and then just leave them, you know, on an island with nobody. Because that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened with Melo, right? So we just need to build a foundation, you know, build a couple of really good you know, pieces to surround a future star with. So that's what I'm hoping to see in the first five years of this decade, you know, like an actual team being built that's through, you know, our own guys that we've drafted, um, through smart pickups, and then maybe we can talk about a star. So that's what I'm hoping for for this decade. Love it. Well said again. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I think that about wraps it up um, from us at Nickish. Uh, 2020 is going to be, you know, uh, up and down year, but you know, we got time. So I'm hoping we all, you know, enjoy our time with this, with this really rebuilding, uh, strange Nick team. So we can, you know, benefit Mm -hmm. from the fruits of our labor when they get better. Yes. Yes. Oh, that was very well said. 
and yeah. and I'm hoping at next week's episode we don't talk about Andre Drummond. I, I hope that that oh, thing God. fades away right away. God oh, forbid. Knock God. on wood. Prayers to all the gods. Um, can, can you guys can you guys just imagine like we trade everybody for Drummond like Frank. <sighs> Mitch, I'm talking <laughs> all our Dallas picks. Oh, right, y'all gonna see me in the hospital next week if oh that happens. Oh my gosh! <laughs> nah. All right. All right, everyone. Thank you guys for tuning in to this edition of the Nickish Show. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Nickish Show, and uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. And you know, check out these episodes. They should be coming out on a weekly basis. And thank you all for the support. And we'll see you next week. Peace. Thanks, guys. See you. Peace, guys.